The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week, we're very pleased to welcome Irene Garcia Perez, who covers distressed debt and also football for Bloomberg News in London. How are you, Irene? All good. Thank you, James. We're also delighted to have Tolu Alamutu, who covers real estate and banks for Bloomberg Intelligence based in London. We'll be coming back to Tolu later in the show to talk about the crisis at SBB, the poster child for Sweden's property meltdown. But first, Irene Garcia Perez with Bloomberg News. Troubled companies, distressed debt. Why are we seeing so much drama right now? Well, it's been a long time coming because a lot of companies um, accumulated a lot of debt during COVID times. Also, um, some of them that had, you know, big, big leverage because they were leverage buyouts when that was cheap. Um, those kind of structures worked well while that was very cheap. Um, not so much anymore, in particular when they face uh, refinancings. So we are now starting to see um, the cracks showing up more often. Um, and higher interest rates is already hurting those that have floating um, debt but also the ones that are trying to to refinance they they know that it's going to be more expensive and in some cases just prohibitively so that's one and then uh, the other thing is inflation which of course it's also hurting um not all the companies have the same um pricing powers so some have been able to pass through to consumers at least for for most of last year um, and others haven't. So we are also starting to see um, this, this disparity between borrowers of the ones that have this power and, and the ones that don't. So in basic terms, rates are going up. That means that debt service, you know, the cost of your debt increases. Also, the economy is slowing, so your earnings are going down. Uh, consumption is probably suffering because of inflation across the world. But um, where are we in the cycle, Irene? Is it going to get worse from here? It does look like it's definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Part of the reason is because we're still seeing um, high levels of inflation, so central banks are not likely to lower rates anytime soon. And the other part of the reason is that we are coming from, from an era where um, lenders or creditors in general were keen on amending and extending the debt and and wave covenants etc because they understood with covid they understood that most of the companies were in that situation for reasons that were outside of their control and or, or had reasons that had little to do with their performance now that they are a lot of them are running out of passions 
Uh, in some cases, when you know you you've seen a lot of the, of the restructurings that we're seeing now actually are second time restructurings. In some cases, even third time companies that restructured during COVID, and that hasn't been enough because the the business hasn't rebounded as strongly as um, expected. So they are coming back for a second or third round. So what kind of companies are most at risk, do you think? I mean, in the US, we've seen a lot of stress in retail, in healthcare, and commercial real estate um, is under a lot of pressure as well. But what about in Europe? Is it the same kind of um, cast of characters, the same 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 sectors that are in trouble? Yeah, it does look like it's, it's very similar. Retail has been distressed for ages um, because of the change in, in well, online shopping, it was a change of priority, people not going to, to shopping malls um, as often. Um, that that kind of, of trend that was already the case before COVID. And of course, with COVID, things accelerated even further. And then for real estate, um, it is now, it, it's a sector that accumulated a lot of debt, um, again, when, when it was cheap to do so. But now a lot of these structures are, are suffering because of property value going down. Also with the pandemic, in the case of the, of the businesses that have um, offices, a lot of of those are suffering because depending on the on the geographies people are not going back to the office um, as often as before so not uh, a lot of companies don't need the same office space that they used to they need less so landlords in that part of the market are are struggling depending on the on the countries you you do see more like higher vac- vacancy rates in that part of the of the real estate market than in others but but yeah real estate uh, companies are are suffering a lot with this combo of lower you know lower value of the properties plus higher rates so the borrowers that are out there that are really struggling right now but we think that they've got a future they're not going to file for bankruptcy what are they doing to relieve the pressure here? So we are seeing um, more and more companies that are trying to sell assets as a way to pay down debt or that are, that are announcing that they um, are doing reviews to sell assets um, to pay down debt. And for now, it's non-core assets. They're not selling the, the jewels of the crown, so to speak. Um, but they are starting to to look into it, if not doing it already. Um, one reason why there haven't been even more um, asset sales so far is because the mismatch in valuation uh, in terms of what the sellers were hoping they would get for their assets and what the buyers want to pay for them. So... The, the sellers that can hold to the asset are waiting for a better moment to to sell it. But that's not the case for, for everyone. And you say they're not giving away the crown jewels, but are there any that have been forced to sell assets or units that they really do need to keep in order to generate the cash that they'll need to stay alive over the long term? Um, I think more than... I mean, perhaps a French supermarket um, casino is the best example. It's still holding to its its main business, which is um, France. But it did have a bigger stake in SAE, which is 
I think the third largest retailer in Brazil. And that was a pretty good asset, but it had to sell part of those shares in order to raise money to, to pay down debt. Um, again, it's holding to its core business, which is France, but it's also, it also had to sell some of the businesses that were actually pretty good for its, you know, existence, so to speak. Um, I guess what we are seeing more when it comes to that core part of the business, what we are seeing more is debt for equity swaps. So creditors just taking over the business because a private equity owner doesn't, doesn't see a way, um, forward for that for that company. So it's just giving up on on it altogether. And on Casino, I mean, you've been all over that one. It's a really fascinating story. It's the biggest supermarket, one of the biggest supermarket chains in France. Um, and so why is that one getting so much attention? What's the drama there? So it's a very interesting situation. It has been cooking for a long time. Um, it was already um, like short sellers um, had it on, on the radar. Um, many years ago, it started in 2015, and then in 2018, the the main accusation of of short sellers was that the company actually had more debt that it was reporting because of the way it was consolidating um, different assets in in its portfolio, in in the group. And then from 2018, the company uh, compromised, made this announcement that it was going to sell assets to to reduce the debt because it was overlevered. And it was doing so, but definitely um, COVID didn't help um, in terms of, of valuations and in terms of the calendar to some extent. And also it's it's now, it's got to a point where even after selling a lot of assets just in time to, to pay the next, um, the, the, the debt that was uh, the next maturity, um, it now has come to a point where it has to restructure and it has started talks with um, with creditors and other stakeholders to to decide how it's best to restructure the company for the business and it's also a very interesting it's also a very interesting case because it's um, for the French government it's a very important asset because it employs over 50,000 people in France. And it's also critical for food security in some of, of the French regions. It's very important in in Paris, for instance, in the Paris region. It's important in the Lyon region as well, and in the south of France. So, of course, for the French government, it's a very it's a very important asset. And also, it's interesting, and it has a massive capital structure. It's about seven billion of debt. So, a lot of of creditors involved, a lot of suppliers involved. And it also has very interesting characters involved in terms of, um, well, the, the, the chairman of the company is, is a very interesting character, but also uh, Jean-Charles Nori, but also um, different parties that have made offers for the company to inject equity if, um, you know, the company managed to cut debt to sustainable levels. Um, we have a Czech billionaire called Daniel Kretinsky that has made um, such an offer, teaming up with an existing shareholder of, of the company. And we also have a trio of French uh, businessmen that have done a separate bid for it. And lastly, it's interesting because of the implications it may have um, in the French um, food retail industry in general, because 
Oshan, for instance, has already approached Kretinsky to team up if his bid wins after um, the restructuring. Um, and Carrefour has expressed interest in the past for some of the assets. Um, the company has already agreed to sell some some of the um, some of its sites to Intermarché, it's another French uh, retailer. So there is uh, a lot of interest for for the assets in France. So it will be it will be interesting to see how it plays out after the restructuring. Sounds like a fascinating story, but it's like a Shakespearean drama. What what scene, what act are we in in, in the drama? Is it act three, scene one, or are we getting towards the end of the Dunamont? Oh, no, uh, we're nowhere near the end because they just <laughs> entered um, conciliation late May, May, 5th, uh, May 25th. So they have until October 25th to negotiate the restructuring. Ideally, they would like to have it earlier, of course, um, because it's also listed company. So the the earlier, the better. Um, and also, summer it's is typically a very bad um, quarter for for supermarkets in terms of liquidity because they need to do all the purchases for the for the Christmas season. So they need to stock basically. So yeah, we we are starting the 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 talks of the restructuring and after that they will have to go to to a court to validate the agreement vote on it etc um but but yeah we're we're starting okay interesting so just going back to the asset sales generally i mean you're talking about european asset sales to support companies through difficult times is it confined to europe or are you seeing it in other parts of the world we are seeing it in other parts of the world as well. Um, we in the in the U.S. we've seen different cases, and there was also a poll by EY that mentioned that in the U.S. there were about forty four percent of chief executive officers that are planning to the to divestments this year, um, and we have already seen in in Chapter Eleven. Although of course you can say Chapter Eleven is like. The place you want to avoid if you can, um, but we are seeing examples of companies that Genesis Care, for instance, is is an example. It's uh, in the healthcare space. It has businesses in Australia, in Europe, and in the U.S. But the U.S. one is the one that wasn't working, and that was um, dragging performance in in general. So eventually, they put they place a company and they they file for Chapter Eleven, and they announced that they are planning to sell the the U.S. Um, business, but again, that one's in, as part of the Chapter 11 situation. Right, got it. So basically, these these companies that are trying to sell assets that they think are worth more than the market is willing to pay. At the same time, rates are going up and the economy is slowing. It all sounds like a recipe for disaster. As it you say, is, things are going to get worse. Yeah, it is complicated because, um, for instance, Orpea, which is a French um, care home uh, operator, it had to restructure twice last year. And part of the reason for that was that in the first restructuring, it made a deal with the French banks, but it also was planning to sell a lot of assets to cut down debt. But then because of, of the valuations, they realized, well, if we do this now, it's we're going to get paid less than we think they're worth. So it's better if we do a broader restructuring and then we sell the assets as we see fit. The other thing is that when 
everyone in the market knows or thinks you have problems, of course, the price that they're willing to pay for those assets are not necessarily the best or fair value or, you know, what you could get if they thought your situation was more stable. And that's something that SBB, for instance, is facing, that they announced they were planning to do asset sales, but then the new management was very clear. Now it remains a question on whether they will be able to stick to the plan, but that they don't want to do fire sales so that they will try to sell them that there are a lot of parties interested in their assets and so that they will do them as they see fit um, slowly but surely or slowly will depend, I guess, on, on the offers that they get, but they don't, they're not planning to sell at deep discounts. So just to be clear, you were talking about SBB there from Sweden, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Swedish okay great. We, we are going to catch up with Tolu Alamutu in a moment uh, from Bloomberg Intelligence about that. But before we do, Irene, what's the next big story to watch on your beat? Are there any uh, big football scoops out there coming? That's uh, soccer for our US listeners. It it is uh, it is getting busy. That space it's definitely getting busy. I guess in in that front we're all watching what happens with the Italian league if they're going to sell their broadcasting rights the same well the revenue from their broadcasting rights the same way that the Spanish and the French league did, and also any any clubs that are potentially for sale. Uh, that's something we're always uh, looking for. And then in distress, yeah, it's it's a matter to see well what um, what the owners of the companies are are going to do if they're willing to inject more money in their companies or if they will give up and just hand the keys to creditors. And to what extent we will see like real fights, or it will be, you know, less less aggressive. Great stuff, Irene Garcia Perez with Bloomberg News. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Read all of Irene's great scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and, of course, at Bloomberg.com. So as I mentioned earlier, we're very pleased to have with us Tolu Alamutu, who looks at real estate and banks for Bloomberg Intelligence, based in London. What's going on in real estate, Tolu? It seems like nothing but bad news when it comes to offices, with not enough people going back to work after the pandemic. Um, Well, it definitely seems like that uh, from where we're sitting in London. Um, not only are you seeing the some of the real estate issuers report negative valuation adjustments, but you're um, seeing that result in losses at some of the companies. Um, you're also seeing negative um, actions from the rating agencies, and you're not seeing the supply that you would have expected in the bond markets from these issuers. So there's concerns about financing as well. So a lot going on um, and the concerns are not um, going away it seems I think you know looking forward to the second half of the year many of the issues that people had earlier in the year um, are going to carry through to that period unfortunately. So let's talk about SBB it's the landlord at the center of Sweden's property crisis which is worrying a lot of people especially in Europe they loaded up on cheap debt to snap up schools and healthcare centers that local governments were looking to offload. Now they're facing off against local councils who want the properties back. That re- sorry, They recently postponed dividend payments for at least a year to try and ease a funding crunch caused by sharply higher interest rates. And we know that SBB has about $8 billion in debt. So what, what is the situation, Tolu? How bad is it going to get, do you think? 
Okay. Well, SBB is being seen as, I guess, you know, the canary in the coal mine in some ways, in some ways. And there are a number of reasons for that. First, they've been under pressure since at least um, the early part of, I'd say, last year because there was a short seller report that targeted them. Um, and since then, SBB has done a number of things, including um, a spin-off, including changing some of its reporting uh, to, to include some alternative reporting measures. They've also carried out some asset sales, um, but none of this has really worked. And um, most recently, they got downgraded by Fitch, S&P and Scope. Um, so they lost their investment grade ratings at S&P and Fitch. And at Scope, there is a possibility of a further downgrade. And um, as a result of the S&P downgrade, as you mentioned, they decided to skip the dividend. They also um, postponed a rights issue. Um, with SBB, it's basically at a point where we're getting at least one headline or one story a day. So yesterday we had a story about um, them converting um, a mandatory convertible um, of about, I think, 2 billion kroner or so into shares, which I think would have been expected. And today we had the pleasure of a headline saying that the Swedish FSA will be probing um, SBB's accounting, um, primarily focused on the 2021 reporting, but also potentially 2020. And SBB has report has responded to that. Sorry, saying that um, in their view, the valuations and um, other metrics that they reported are correct, and they're looking forward to having a constructive dialogue with the Swedish FSA. Um, the problem from a bondholder perspective is clearly the headline risk is extremely elevated at this point um, on SBB. And um, every day, the headlines that we're getting are not particularly encouraging. Um, in the meantime, we are waiting for the outcome of what SBB is calling a broad, broader uh, strategic review, which is supposed to look at whether they should sell all or some of their assets and so on. And um, I think what this probe from the FSA does is um, increase the urgency of them completing that review. And as you say, they were they were cut to junk in May, um, and since then the mm. share price has dropped very steeply. Now hedge funds and rival landlords are circling the troubled company's holdings. Um, you mentioned um, you know we're kind of getting this bad headline a day. What 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 exactly are we looking for next? Is there a deadline for for, for on the horizon that we're trying to? you know focus on and, and what what could happen next mm. so uh, there are um to me every day it seems like um a deadline at the at the moment because of the um the the level of headlines that we're getting or the amount of headlines that we're getting but there is one date that people are focusing on at the moment and that is sort of towards the end of this month i think around the 29th of this month the reason for that is that, um, according to a report, there are bondholders that have written a letter to SBB stating that they have breached an interest coverage ratio covenant. And SBB has, I think, 90 days to respond to that or to remedy that. SBB has already publicly said that they meet the covenant 
all the covenants under their Eurobond documentation. Um, at least that's what we know in terms of what they said publicly. We don't know whether there's been any bilateral negotiations between them and this bondholder group. Um, but if the report of the bondholder action is correct, then um, I guess the bondholders will expect some action from SBV before the end of this month. Um, having said that, there is a another um, bondholder group that's on the other side of that argument that's stating that SBB actually has not breached that covenant. And I think um, one can understand why there would be players on that side as well. Um, that's because if SBB were forced to um, into default at this point, that would obviously potentially mean that they'd have to pay off all the debt that they have, all the senior debt that they have, and they don't necessarily have the cash on hand to do that. Um, so the outcome for the bondholders may not be positive if they were to precipitate a default at this point. And is that the base case right now, that they will default on the debt and there'll be a restructuring? Um, I, I wouldn't say so. I think that there is still uh, hope, I guess, that some kind of resolution can be reached and that there will be progress with the um, broader strategic review and that there will be some way to appease these bondholders that have raised concerns. Um, I should say that the issue is all around definitions and so on, and um, it's the definitions of the interest coverage ratio that obviously have come into focus in this instance. Um, the problem is there are many ways that one, I guess, can calculate that, and I guess SBB is justifying its own calculation, the bondholders will be justifying their own. Um, the issue with SBB is that they restated their Q1 results um, and restatements are never good, right? And the restatement didn't contain as much information as the initial reporting. And I think that's also um, added to the worry basically, and is one of the reasons, I guess, why you're seeing this bondholder action. But in a worst-case scenario, which we have to be kind of always looking out for, what do we think re recoveries might look like? Um, that's that's a, a, a tricky one, because what normally, um, well, these are never normal circumstances, what can happen in these sort of disorderly uh, situations is that um, the amount of secured debt the people that maybe was reported was last reported might be higher. The valuations that they get for the properties might be lower than was last reported. And so, as an unsecured bondholder, um, which all these people would be, um, you end up in a worse position than maybe you were bargaining for um, based on the last reported figures. And that is the primary concern. Right, that you know, all those that rank ahead of you might um, do much better, or might be um, there might be greater amounts ahead of you, and there might be less security um, left for you to um, claim.
obviously a fascinating story for Sweden, and you know, um, there's tons of really interesting things going on that we'll we'll be watching very closely. But but when you sort of zoom out a bit, how much is this a Sweden and or credit specific SBB story, and to what extent could it become a bigger issue for for credit markets? I think that you really hit on what the concern is, which is that this may not be um, SBB specific, and that um, when or if the SBB situation is resolved, um, there might be concerns about whoever the next weakest link is. I mean, if we look at how some of the other issuers have performed year to date, not just in Sweden, and I'm talking about the performance of their bonds, it tells you that the concerns are definitely not restricted to just the that Nordic country. Um, I was looking at some of the year-to-date performance figures today and looking at the likes of Heimstaden, um, the around town perps and so on, they haven't done very well year-to-date. So I think what the market is telling us is that they are concerned about real estate more broadly than um, just SBB. Of course, SBB is, it seems to be in the eye of the storm at the moment, but there are definitely broader concerns. So there could be some contagion if SBB goes down. Um, in in a in a sense, yes. Um, the other thing I, I guess I should say is, um, in the last few weeks, we have had statements from the Swedish FSA uh, stating that um, leverage is too high in the commercial real estate sector, um, which I guess will make lenders more cautious towards um, that sector which is not positive for the other entities in Sweden that are operating in real estate. So um, the regulators already sounding uh, out their concerns or was already sounding out their concerns even before the probe was launched against SBB today. That it is something also that resonates beyond just Sweden. Of course. Yes, it is. Okay. So I'm I'm the one on this podcast that asks all the dumb questions, and I have one just very simple one about real estate generally. You've got all these companies that have, um, for example, office buildings that um, you know no one wants to use anymore because they're not going back to work. Why can't they just be repurposed? Because you know um, cities have have a, have a lack of um, housing, they have a lack of schools, they have a lack of all sorts of other infrastructure. Why can't they just be repurposed? Um, simple answer is that. It's not that easy and it's all it's never that straightforward. So first let's just consider what's going on um in parts of the office space. It is true, of course, many people um prefer working from home for at least a portion of the week now. And so the demand for offices is not as strong as it was maybe prior to the pandemic. Um but when you have people still coming in for part of the week, you still do need to maintain some office space, um, but you need to be flexible around it. And in some cases, the issuers are not um, organized in a way that allows for such flexible working. So it's almost like an all or nothing approach. The second issue for the issuers is the quality of the building. So um, we're finding that if the buildings are basically greener, and we um, are privileged here to have a building that has like one of the highest um, green ratings, if you like. Um, But with greener buildings, there is greater demand, but it takes a lot of time and finances to meet those standards. And it's not always 
um, easy for the issuers to make those investments. And in terms of repurposing them into flats or um, whatever else, the location of the offices may not be um, ideal. You need um, permissions to do that. Um, you need funding to to repurpose them as well. So it's not as straightforward as I guess it might seem. And it can take a lot of time to do as well. And that's time that maybe um, some of the, these issues probably don't have in abundance. Thank you very much, Tolu Alamutu of Bloomberg Intelligence. Read all of her great analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. Do check it out and hope to see you back on the show soon, Tolu. Thank you so much, James. Hope to be back on the show soon. And thanks again to Irene Garcia-Perez from Bloomberg News. Get all her great distressed debt and football scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and at Bloomberg.com. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.